beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Adolf Hitler. What do you think when you hear that name? Well, you think of who he is, right? You think of what he is or was. You think of what he did. Last Monday, we observed the International Day of Commemoration and Memory of Victims of the Holocaust. And when we hear the name Adolf Hitler, we think of all those horrible, terrible wickednesses, all that wickedness was bound up in that Holocaust. We think of wickedness, we think of cruelty, we think of violence, we think of injustice, we think of, of death. Well, how about this one? Florence Nightingale. It's a little nicer, isn't it? What do we think of when we hear her name? We think of kindness and compassion and dedication and sacrificial love and healing and the nurturing of life. All the good things that we tend to connect with good nurses. And we know a number of them, don't we, right here in our own congregation? A name is inextricably tied up in who we are and what we have done. A name has to do with our reputation, with what people think when they hear our name. So the scripture speaks about having a good name or a bad name. Proverbs The Proverbs tell us that a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. A good name is worth a lot. A good name is valuable. And so when we consider this afternoon the the holy name of God, we think about and consider the name which is above every other name, the name which has infinite value. And when we think of his name, we think of who he is and what he has done. And we, as we read the scriptures, we learn that God is zealous for his name. Over and over in the scriptures, we read that God comes to his people who are in sin and in rebellion. He says, you know what? You guys don't deserve to be saved. And I'm not going to save you because you're so valuable. And because you're so deserving, but for the sake of my name, I'm going to save you. Because I'm a savior. I'm a saving God. I'm a forgiving God. I'm a compassionate God. I'm a long-suffering God. I'm a God who keeps his promises. And so you've broken the covenant once again. But I'm I'm going to pursue you with love once again and save you. God is zealous for his name. I'd like you to turn to Exodus 33:19 for a moment. Exodus 33:19, where we see how God connects who He is and His name with what He does. Exodus 33:19. So Moses says to the Lord in verse 18, "Please show me." Your glory, 
And then in verse 19, this is the answer. God says to him, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. That's, you know that, right? That's the word Yahweh, the covenant name of God. And then, so God promises, I'm going to make my goodness pass before you. I'll proclaim to you my name, the Lord. And, and then when it finally happens, look what he does. Look what he says. That's in chapter 34, verse 6. We'll start reading verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord, the name Yahweh. And then Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. God is showing his glory. That's what Moses asked for. God is showing his goodness. God is proclaiming his name, the Lord. And he describes his character. He describes who he is. A God who is loving and forgiving and faithful and righteous and just. So God and his name are identified they're connected and in fact the scripture sometimes switches them out one for another they're they're interchangeable and we can see that for instance when we turn to the second book of samuel chapter 7 the second book of samuel chapter 7 where it speaks about building a house 2 samuel 7 verse 5 the word of the lord came to nathan 2 samuel 7 5 go and tell my servant david Thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? So would you build a house for me? Would you build a house for for God? But then look at verse 13, just a few verses down on the page. And it speaks about that in the future, one of your descendants, David, uh, will build a house for my name. So God, in verse 5, speaks about building a house for me. And in verse 13, speaking about the same subject, he says, build a house for my name. So God and his name are used interchangeably here. And the reason is, is because the temple is the place where God will dwell. It's his house. It's a a place where he will set his name. And we see that from Deuteronomy chapter 12. If if you have your Bible in front of you, Deuteronomy chapter 12 verse 5. Deuteronomy 12, 5. And the Lord here says, "You, when you get into the land in the future, and you shouldn't just worship God any which way, but you shall seek, verse 5, you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. What's it referring to? It's referring to to the temple. And then you look at verse 13. After, after he speaks about, uh, in, in verses um, 6 through 
to 12, he speaks about what's going to happen at this place where he will have his habitation. What's going to happen at this place where he will make his name, where he will put his name. What's going to happen is all kinds of uh, holy rituals. There will be sacrifices and prayer and reconciliation and communion and people seeking the presence of God. Look at verse 11. He refers to this place in the future where the temple will be. It will be the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. God will dwell in the temple. His name will dwell in the temple. So God and his name are connected. But then look at Psalm 26 verse 8 because there's another connection as well. Psalm 26 verse 8. God dwells in the temple. His name is set on the temple. His name dwells in the temple. And then Psalm 26, verse 8, what else do we learn? O Lord, I love the habitation of your house, that's where you live, God, and the place where your glory dwells. The place where your glory dwells. What do we learn? We could keep going, but you get the the point, I think. God's name is the representation of his character. It is his reputation. It is who he is. It is what he does. It is his glory. It is his presence. They're all bound up together. You can't separate one from the other. And so God takes up residence in the midst of his people. He puts his name on them. He says, this is where God lives. This is the royal residence. It's just like when you, when you drive up to someone's house to visit them, and they have their family name on a sign out front. Usually, the name on the sign in front of the house is the name of the people in the house. I say usually, because it's not always the case. We think of Queen Elizabeth. Queen Elizabeth, when she's in residence at a certain royal palace, then there's a special royal standard which is flown over the palace where she is currently occupying or residing. And that banner says, this is where the queen is. And so God's name is like a a royal banner which he raises above his people. He raises above his holy habitation. And he says, this is my residence. This is where you can find me. This is my habitation. This is my dwelling. And in the Old Testament, that was mainly focused on the temple. That's where the Holy Spirit of God dwelt in the Shekinah glory in the Holy of Holies. But, but already in the Old Testament, we get a little taste, a little, a little idea of how that's going to really expand in the future in the New Testament. Turn for a moment to Numbers chapter 6, verse 24. Numbers 6, 24. This is the, the beautiful blessing that God puts upon us every Sunday. And so God tells Aaron and his sons to bless the people of Israel by saying, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And now look at verse 27. So they shall put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. What does that mean? Well, it means this. God is Yahweh. God is covenant God. And in that priestly blessing, God raises his royal banner over his people. 
God places them under the protection of his name. We sang about that in one of the Psalms. He proclaims that they are in a relationship of blessing and grace and peace with him. So there's this idea of of a royal standard setting the name of God over the people. But there's also the idea here in Numbers chapter 6 of the name being placed upon them because of this deep relationship of love and communion that exists between God and his people. And the, the scripture often uses the metaphor of marriage for that. And you think of the the fact that uh, historically by custom, when a woman marries a man, she comes under his name. That happens in the marriage between God and his people. So where does God's name dwell now? Because in the Old Testament, it dwelt and was set over the temple. We don't have the temple anymore. Just got a few stones left there in Jerusalem. Where do we seek the dwelling of his name, his habitation? Well... The Bible teaches us that his name and his glory and his presence continue to dwell in his temple. But the temple is no longer in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, the ascended Lord Jesus Christ, he pours down from heaven his Holy Spirit into a house temple made of living stones, the church of the living God. And the apostle Paul says to the church, to us, he says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God raises his royal standard over us. His name, his presence, his glory, the revelation of his character, his love, his grace, his truth, his power. These are all to be found in the church. That's a sobering thought. It's a high calling that God gives to his church. And in the church, we have a community of men and women and children who are baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We have a washed congregation upon which God sets his name Because the church is the bride of Christ and we share his name. He puts it on us. We're under its protection. Well, if the name of God represents who he is and his presence and his glory, his character, if his name is over us and set upon us, if we carry it on our foreheads into all the different areas of life throughout the week, then How ought we to treat the name of God? Well, let's think about that flag idea that was one of the metaphors we used, that royal standard, that flag. Throughout the world, Canadian embassies proudly fly the Canadian flag. And if you're in a foreign country and you need help and maybe you're in in trouble and you don't understand the local language and there's been some problems, it's a delight to see the Canadian flag flying By the embassy, you know that there you will find help and there you will find people that perhaps um, can, can help you out of your predicament. Now, the flag then represents the presence of Canada. It's a little piece of Canada. The embassy actually, uh, the land belongs to Canada. It's sovereign territory of Canada. Now, if the ambassador's car leaks oil onto the driveway and he looks around and he sees the flag and he 
pulls the flag down off the pole and wipes up the oil and crumples up the flag and throws it into a corner. What do you think, children? Is that a good idea? Is that, is that what he's supposed to be doing with the flag? No, oh, that's not right, is it? That's not what the flag is for. Disrespect for the flag is disrespect for the country that the ambassador serves. And it's not just an old-fashioned kind of thing to have respect for the flag. It's a matter of integrity and respect. And so, God's name. God's name is not to be used lightly. It is not to be used as something which is banal and everyday and ordinary. The, the commandment tells us not to, not to take the name of the Lord our God in vain. And the word take can be translated as carry or lift. So we ought not to lift up the name of God in vain to uselessness or to worthlessness. We ought not to use it carelessly as a swear word, as an empty exclamation. Because when we use the name in these careless ways, then we treat God carelessly. We treat Him as empty and useless and worthless. And that's not where we want to be. Remember, God's name is the representation of who He is, His character, His glory, and His presence. The way we deal with His name is the way we deal with Him. And so what does the Catechism tell us? Well, we ought to use the holy name of God only with fear and reverence that we may rightly confess him, call upon him, and praise him in all our words and works. If you turn for a moment to Isaiah, 40, Isaiah 43, 7. 43, 7. And you'll see the connection here between God's name and his, his glory and how we're created for both. 43, 7 of Isaiah he speaks about everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So when God forms us, when God makes us, when God gathers us together as his holy bride, he has created us as human beings and he has gathered us together as church for one reason and one reason alone, to glorify him, to be called by his name and to live for his glory. Those things go together. And so we have something to live up to. Because God will not have his holy name on just anyone. Just anyhow. You think of a builder. If you're a big fancy building company, you build big fancy houses and they're very good quality, then you are zealous for the name of your company. And if you get a subcontractor that builds something and slaps your name on the sign, but the thing is useless and the, the house is almost falling down before the final work is done. And it's just cheap junk being sold in your name, then you as a builder are going to get upset because your reputation is on the line. You have a reputation for fine, solid quality builds. And now... Your name is plastered over this cheap shack, which is, is falling down and falling in pieces almost as soon as it's built. And in the same way, God will not have his name used by those who bring shame upon it. 
We carry his name. We, we take it, we carry it, we lift it up in our lives and in our words. Now, what is your life saying about the name of God? When people read your life, what are they learning about the name and the character of God? What is your life saying about the kingdom and the power and the glory of God? Look what the Catechism says. We've got to praise Him in all our words and our works. That means we've got to talk the talk and we've got to walk the walk. And in all of that, we've got to be saying by our lives, by our words, we've got to be saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Our speech has to say that. Our life has to say that. Our worship has to say that. Deep reverence for the things of God, deep reverence for the holy things has to characterize our conversation, our daily living, the way we live together in the home, the way we do our work, and the way we do our worship. And as there's more and more pressure to between quotation marks, spice up worship to make it more palatable and attractive to people that are unchurched and don't know the Lord Jesus. As we consider those pressures, we need to remember that God calls us to maintain a deep reverence for holy things in our public and corporate worship. We need to live with a deep awareness that everything we do, we do bearing the name on our heads. We do it in the name. We do it for the name. We do it to the glory and honor of the name. The name which is above every name. Everything we do, says the apostle, we do to his glory. Even when we eat, even when we drink, the most basic and simple activities of daily life are liturgical acts. They're acts of worship in which we lift up the name. Not just on Sundays, not just for the hour of worship, but it's all the time. When you're in uniform and you're wearing the Canadian flag on your uniform, then everything you do and say reflects on the country you serve. And so it is with those who serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We serve under the banner, the royal standard of the King of Kings. His name is sealed on our foreheads, and everything we do and everything we say, the way we live our lives, reflects on Him. And there's no room for carelessness in the Christian life. God is zealous for his name, and he expects the same from us. Now, there is there's so much power and so much glory bound up in the name that misusing the name is very, very dangerous. Cursing, perjury, and unnecessary oaths, we confess, are ways of blaspheming or abusing the name of God. Now, next week, as we deal with Lord's Day 37 next week, we're going to deal with perjury and oaths. It's this afternoon, we'll just focus on the cursing bit. And then we'll deal with perjury and oaths next week. So, misusing the name is very dangerous because there's power and there's glory bound up in the name. And we, we read that in Leviticus 24, that man in Leviticus 24 found out how dangerous it is to fool around with the name of God, to treat the name of God lightly. 
You know, when you're working with powerful explosives, you treat them with respect because handled properly, they can be a great blessing. Powerful explosives can be used to to blast out a road through the, the hills or the mountains. They can be used to open up mining operations. But you don't use powerful explosives to play baseball during your lunch break. That's, that, that's casual, that careless handling of dangerous explosives will have fatal consequences. It will be stupid to do that. And so it is foolish to despise and use carelessly the holy name of God. Think of a wife who every time or often when she refers to her husband calls him useless and worthless and trash and she's embarrassed about him and she has no respect for him and she keeps denigrating him to her co-workers and to her friends and to his face. Well, how long is that relationship going to last? No husband can tolerate that. It's gonna, that breaks the relationship. And God will not tolerate his holiness being profaned. God will not tolerate his name being treated as something useless and worthless. There are consequences if you dis the name, if you disrespect the name which the ironic blessing puts upon you. Then in rejecting and disrespecting that name, you reject and disrespect the communion and the blessing and the grace and the peace and the shining of his face and the turning of his face toward you that come built into that relationship with God. When you despise God's holy name, you cut yourself off from him. With God is life and light. You cut yourself off from that and there's only darkness and death. It's a built-in consequence of taking the name in vain. It's not a good idea. And the fellow in Leviticus 24 found out the hard way. Well, what we shouldn't put up with in ourselves, we ought not to put up with in others as well. Imagine a wife who has some good friends and they get together and they play some games together and they have tea together and they go out together. and, And every few minutes or so, the friends tell her, you know, your husband is, is worthless. He's useless. And they just trash him repeatedly. And then they go back to playing their game or watching their movie or having tea and crumpets. Well, how is she going to react? Is she going to say, well, you know, I really don't like it that they're trashing my husband's name, but... It's so much fun to watch this movie. I'll just pretend it's not happening. Or it's, we're having such a great time playing this game that if every 10 minutes or so they're speaking ill of my husband, I'll just, that's just the, the cost of friendship. And, and I really don't want to give up my friends. I don't, really don't want to give up this, this activity we're doing. It would be a very strange and unhealthy relationship, wouldn't it, if a wife would be willing to put up with something like that? We can't be silent bystanders when the one who we most love is being denigrated and disrespected. Say, listen, stop that. Don't talk like that. That's not appropriate. And if you won't stop, then I'm out of here. I'm not going to put up with that. Isn't it interesting and isn't it sad and isn't it rather convicting that 
followers of false gods and false religions are sometimes more zealous for the name of their fake gods than Christians are to be zealous for the true God. We're watching a movie, the holy name of God is misused, and we think, well, that's just the cost of doing business. I mean, how could I possibly deprive myself of entertainment? It's so important. More important than the holiness of God. Aren't we making that decision? Aren't we saying that in the way in which we live? In the way in which we sit in the cinema or in front of the screen? And I'll be the first to admit that this is very, very hard. I admit that I am often a coward and ashamed to speak up for the name of my Lord and for his honor. And when I'm in a situation where people are misusing the name of God, I'm often too shy and too scared to say something. And I think many of us have that. This is an area in which we need to plead for the Spirit of God to give us courage and conviction. We need to ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, make me ready to lose friendships to deprive myself of convenience and entertainment and pleasure and comfort for the sake of the holiness of your name. Lord God, work in me by your Holy Spirit so that I just can't put up with the taking of your name in vain, that I cannot be a silent bystander, that I have the courage to stand up and say in a, in a kind but firm way, no, this is not acceptable. You're speaking of the one who gave his life for me. You're speaking of the one who is my life, who is my all. There is no one in heaven besides him and no one on earth in whom I find pleasure besides the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want my friendship, you want to keep doing this activity with me, you need to show respect for my Savior and for the lover of my soul. So we need to pray for more courage, brothers and sisters. But you know, we, we can curse by words or we can be silent bystanders when others curse with words, but we can also curse with, with lives, with our actions. When our lives show little or no evidence of sanctification, I want to turn with you to Romans chapter 2, where the apostle speaks to this, Romans two seventeen. He's speaking about people that think they're really religious. They've got all the doctrine down pat, and they've got the right doctrine, the true doctrine. They're the people of God. They've got it all figured out. They know how everybody should think and how everybody should live. But Paul calls them out for their hypocrisy. And I think this also confronts us as well. Romans 2, 17 to 24. We'll read that together right now. If you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law, boast in God, know his will, approve what is excellent because you are instructed in, from the law... And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. So you really think you're something. You've got it all together. Now look what Paul says. You then, you teach others. Do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. And now check out verse 24. 
For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. What's Paul saying? What does the scripture teach us? It teaches us that we do massive damage to the gospel. When we love to tell everybody the truth about God's goodness and holiness and his power to transform dead sinners into children of the living God. And then our lives say the opposite. Our lives say God is weak. God is not holy. God is not working powerfully in me by his Holy Spirit. There's nothing the devil loves more than that kind of hypocrisy. A life which in words lifts up the name, but in actions brings shame upon his holy name. And wow, it's, it's just so easy to mess up, isn't it? It's so easy not to treat God's name with due reverence. It's so easy not to speak up when his name is blasphemed. And we can mess up by telling people about the power of the name of Jesus, but then saying the opposite with our lives when we get stuck in various sins. We carry the name of God, but we carry it often as if it were worthless or useless or powerless to change us, to save us, to sanctify us. And so... How often do we not bring shame on the holy name of our God? So what are we supposed to do about that? Well, remember where we are in the catechism? We're in the third part, aren't we? The third part deals with gratitude. This isn't the part about sin and misery. This is a good thing. Remember what the church has confessed so far from the Scripture. The church has confessed very clearly that the Bible teaches that those who are in Christ by true faith those who are in Christ by true faith have fulfilled the law perfectly because Jesus fulfilled it for us. That's what we've confessed so far in the Lord's days that have come before Lord's Day 36. That's already established. That gospel, that glorious gospel that when God looks at you, He sees someone who has ever only showed all reverence for his name. When God looks at you, he sees your life as perfect and holy, without sin, without shame, shame, without stain, without guilt. Because when God looks at you, he's not looking at you as you are in yourself. But God is looking at us as we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we're in Christ, everything changes. It is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And so we read Lord's Day 36 and we meditate upon the scriptural teaching that Lord's Day 36 puts before us from a position of glory and holiness and righteousness and justification. There is no condemnation whatsoever in this Lord's Day for those 
who believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the glorious good news is this. And for those who are in Christ, the commandment becomes not a burden, not a threat, not a judgment, but it becomes a gospel promise. The commandment tells us, listen, this is who you are in Christ. And this is what you're going to look like more and more as the spirit of the living God transforms you from glory to glory after the image of Jesus Christ. The spirit of the living God has come. He's made his home in you. You're a temple of God. And you know what? He's still got a lot of renovations to do. But he's working on it. He has put up the banner of his name over the habitation of your heart. He has set his name upon you. And he's going to make you look more and more like you are already in Jesus Christ. So as things go forward, you're going to see the truth of your justification being displayed ever more gloriously in your ongoing sanctification. That means that that old run-down shack of sin and misery that is you and me in our fallen state, it's changing. It's looking different all the time. It's looking more and more like a castle for the King of Kings. That's the promise of the gospel. And so we pray this commandment This Lord's Day doesn't drive us to all kinds of activism and legalism and trying harder to be good Christians. But this commandment and this Lord's Day drive us to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we always have to end up. Drives us to him and we pray, O Lord God, hallowed be your name. O Holy Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, help me. Help me stand up for the name of Jesus. Help me to use the holy name of God only with fear and reverence. Help me so that I may rightly confess you, call upon you, and worship you in all my words and works. Help me, O Spirit of God. Help me to proclaim your name, to publish abroad your wonderful name, the name of victorious, to extol that name of Jesus adore him, to give him his right, all glory and power and wisdom and might, all honor and blessing with angels above, and thanks never ceasing for infinite love. Amen.